Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages. Manny, let's get back to that word. You just feel there's an urgency, and um, that's really what I want to share about today. Uh, there, there really is an urgency in the presence uh, to pick up our mantle, uh, and specifically the supernatural mantle that God has placed on every believer. If you are a believer, you should be seeing the supernatural in your life, signs and wonders in every area of your life. And that's because that's the nature of God. God God and His Spirit are so big, so real, that he, He's going to transform every area you touch. Can I? Can, are you with me? All right. So um, Chris Vallotton, in his book, The Supernatural Ways of Royalty, uh, it's a great book. I read a chapter and I bought a house by miracle almost instantly, literally on the same day, okay? It it activates the supernatural in your life. True story. All right, he says, or he tells a story of his grandkids and they were fighting and and they were five years old, three years old, four years old, you know that mix. And what they're fighting about is who is going to be Spider-Man. And everyone wants to be Spider-Man, right? Because Superman's not cool. Spider-Man is awesome, and um, he's watching this thing, and he, and he realizes, but no one's fighting to be the garbage man. Like, like, they're fighting. No one's fighting, in his words, to be the loser. Anyone here want to be the loser? <laughs> but then he says, he says, we were born for greatness. We were born for greatness. Does anyone in the house believe they were not Born for greatness. I saw that hand, Vicky. We're going to pray for you after the service, okay? <laughs> Just kidding. All right. <laughs> so, anyone believe they were... N- I know I tricked you. I'm sorry. Anyone believe you were not born for greatness? Anyone? Okay. Anyone believe you were born for greatness? Now you can put up your hand, Okay. Anyone not going to put up their hand, regardless of my question, Uncle Ed? Okay. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so let's put up our hands. How many of you believe you were born for greatness? Okay. Now, keep your hands up if you believe you were born for greatness. How many of you believe you have fulfilled your greatness? Keep your hands up. Okay, lots of false humility in the room. Just look at the person next to you. Say, I'm being humble right now. (laughs) All right, but we touched on a nerve there. Did you feel it? Like, eh. Did you feel it? Like, eh. So what happens is, as children, you believe you are Spider-Man. We were watching the Masters last night, and um, one of the chips went onto the green, did it. Did a left-hand turn. Anyone know what the Masters is? Golf, okay. And Michael says, yes, Daddy, is that also good as you? I'm like, <laughs> where do I even start explaining? <laughs> 
So children just believe, like, you are made for greatness, and if daddy plays golf, he's as good as that dude, as Tiger Woods, you know, like just straight off the bat. That's how children believe. And so Jesus says, have faith like these children. Like, like literally have the same expectation of greatness in your life that children have. But somewhere along the way, as adults, we lose that expectation of greatness. God said to me one day, he says, you can do whatever you want to do and you can do it really well if you desire to do it. And I realize it's true, watching golf, on the first day, there was a guy who's 23 years old. He's exactly half the age of Tiger Woods. And in the last 10 years, he has become as great as Tiger Woods. When Tiger Woods started playing two years before this guy was, or, or 20 years before this guy was born. So literally, you have greatness inside of you if you tap into it, and if you allow the Holy Spirit to inspire it in you. You're only 10 years away from being a master at anything because of the Holy Spirit inside of you, regardless of your age. My mom says, mm. someone say, Amen. <laughs> but we deny the Holy Spirit's work in our lives when we continually say no to the greatness that is inside of you. Isn't that a good word? Now, Tapping onto what Maddie said, there is an anxiousness in the spirit for the sons of God to realize that, for the sons of God to be manifest. So when the word says the world is waiting, the, the earth and all of creation is groaning and waiting in, in anticipation of the sons of God being manifest, this is what it's groaning for. It's not waiting for Christians to suddenly realize, oh, I've been forgiven, and I'm going to try and be a nice guy, and I'm going to do the right things. And No, you've got so much more inside of you because of the Holy Spirit. It's groaning. Creation is waiting for that power to be manifest in every person's life. And I am of the belief that believers should be the absolute leaders of every industry, of every area that they're in, because of the presence of God within them. That's a good word. That's where you're supposed to applaud. Say, yes, that's me. End of the sermon. I can go home. But you want to hear more, right? <laughs> so we need to rekindle our faith like a child. We need to believe that we are destined and made for greatness. That God, now here's where the understanding of predestination got, gets or did get so confused. But when, when we, traditionally the church read we were predestined, some people read, but only us. We are, only us, we are predestined. And only certain groups are chosen. No, God chose Every single person for greatness. Doesn't matter what age, doesn't matter what race, doesn't matter what nation you come from, you were predestined for the greatness of God. Anyone believe that? All right. Are you coming with me? Okay. So God predestined us for greatness, and, and what that means is, we don't have to do anything to deserve to be great. 
You, you don't have to do anything to deserve. You deserve greatness. God gave you greatness even from the foundations of the earth. God gave you his supernatural. Man, you were created in what image? Right from the beginning. Let us make man in our own image. There's a lot of people walking around who don't actually walk as if they're walking in the image of God. That's the urgency Maddie is speaking about. God is talking about. He's urging us to realize, wait a minute, we walk in the image of God. Amen? So, you deserve to be great. You deserve to be a hero. You deserve to be a world changer. You deserve to be a shining light. You deserve to be sons and daughters of the Most High. That's a given. God has already given that to you. But you have to believe it. You have to step into it and you have to choose it. Okay, so a supernatural lifestyle is really being empowered by the presence of God. It's realizing that greatness that rests inside of us. But your motivation for a supernatural lifestyle has to be right. In Daniel 2 verse 30, I just want to go there quickly. Daniel is in a tough situation because King Nebuchadnezzar has had a dream. But the problem is he forgot what his dream was. But he knew his dream was good. And his new God wanted to say something through his dream, but he can't remember what his dream is. So, how many of you would like to be a wise man in the king's palace? Nebuchadnezzar says, tell me my dream and tell me its meaning or else I chop you and your family into pieces. Anyone want to serve the king? <laughs> so all the wise men and the sorcerers are, are trying to do everything they can to play for time. I mean, that's good, it's good strategy, just play for time. Okay, and, and then Daniel tells the executor. So the guys come to execute Daniel. He arrives at his door. Daniel says, hold on, I have a message. He goes to King Nebuchadnezzar and he says, no man, no man can tell you what your dream is. But there is a God who reveals mysteries and secrets. And then he says the following. He says, but as for me, this secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living. Just listen to those words and then listen to the opposite of that. This secret has not been revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living. Physiologically speaking, skill-wise, Daniel was not more skilled than you sitting in this room. He was not more special. He was not more great. It was the Holy Spirit active. And he says, I have more than, a, but in, okay, let me repeat this. This secret is not revealed to me for any wisdom that I have more than anyone else living, but 
in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your heart and mind. Daniel did not tap into the spirit to become something great. He did it for the purpose of which it was intended. So there is an anxiousness. There is a calling. Rise up and live supernatural lives, but don't do it to become great. Do it to achieve the purpose of which it was called. Because the more great you are, the more you are living out of the presence of God, the more God's purpose is being manifest on earth. And so often, the focus is on the person who is operating. And that person becomes great. But Daniel said, I didn't do it for greatness. I did it so that you may know. Your motivation for the supernatural has to be to see the kingdom of God manifest in your life, in every area of your life. Okay. Now, Jeremiah 12, um, just stick with me. Um, Jeremiah is complaining. Now, he's the prophet, and he's saying, why are the wicked prospering? Just, just hear this with me. He is the prophet. So he's already tapped into the presence of God. But he says, why are the wicked prospering? And he starts to complain. And God says to him, he says, the Lord rebukes Jeremiah's impatience. This is Jeremiah 12. I didn't write the verse down. But he says, if you have raced with men on foot and tire, how will you one day run with horses? So I've got this cinematic picture of Jeremiah running next to horses. Like, all right? Anyone see it? Yellow grass, horses galloping, and there's Jeremiah. <laughs> I don't think I was a great depiction of a runner right now, but, you know, you get the idea. <laughs> now, I'm going to tell you a horse story so that you can understand the scripture more. How many of you have read scripture, pondered on scripture, and then when you have an experience, you're like, ah, I know what they're talking about. So we go to a, a farm two weeks ago. We, it's uh, my brother's family-in-law uh, or their, their family farm and uh, they bring a horse into the yard so the kids can ride and the horse's name is Danny Boy and he's, he's, he's really just a gentle good horse and so you put the kids on they go and the horse goes and they turn and it just turns and wherever they want to turn and so we just spent the whole first day watching the kids ride and go around a tree and Michael kicks and the horse goes into a little canter or down the yard and then back again. It's just lacquer. I mean, the kids have never had so much freedom on a horse for as long as that in, in a long time. And end of the day, after the riding or end of the, the riding session, uh, Brendan obviously wants to ride and so I take him by the reins and I walk around the garden. 
But after a while, I feel really stupid. Like, how many of you have walked a kid around a yard 40 times? Um, it, it starts to feel pretty mundane, you know, especially when the horse doesn't actually need you. It just, like, walks right here. And, and so the reins are just loose, and I'm, like, you know, wandering around the garden with this horse that's with me. So day two, kids riding horse again, having a great time. We're all chatting and Brendan wants to get on the horse again. He gets on the horse. And this time around, I'm, I'm like pretty smart. I'm like, Michael, you like leading horses, don't you? Because <laughs> I'm not going to walk around the garden <laughs> again. I'm going to sit and watch. And we give the reins to Michael. Michael walks for 10 minutes. He takes a corner. And next minute, the horse bolts with little Brendan on the horse. He falls backwards, his foot gets stuck in the stirrup, and the horse runs. I mean, we are just, there is just a moment of panic. And Brendan's hanging next to the horse, he turns a corner, and Brendan luckily falls out. And we are just like, whoa, 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 what what just happened? And suddenly, or not suddenly, but thinking about this process, I realized something, and as we started to chat and uh, my brother and I, we chatted afterwards, and he said, yeah, you know, there's, there's two things you can learn from this situation. And this is what I've learned, is that in all my life and in all my experience of horses, I've only experienced the good ones. Someone say amen? Hello? Anyone? You, you've ridden the horse at the carnival You've gone on a safari walk and they walk in a line. And, and so if you didn't grow up on a farm, the only horses you've ever experienced are the good ones. And then if you're a little bit like me, you actually start to say, yeah, I can ride a horse. No. No, you can't. <laughs> I said, you know, I probably don't ride well, but I'm pretty brave. That was before this event. And so uh, Uncle Robert, who's the farmer there, he said, well, from now on, the only people who may lead the horses are the horse handlers who live and work on the farm because they carry years and years and years and years and years of experience and they can handle what we wouldn't be able to handle. Now, a car is easy. It does what you tell it to do. But a horse can, in a moment, even though it's a good horse, just, just go. So I started to read this verse differently. But the Lord rebukes Jeremiah and says, If you've raced with men on foot and they have tired you out, then how can you compete with horses? I just realized, he's saying, if you, if you go through life and nothing unexpected ever happens and you're complaining, then how will you manage when the unexpected comes? Someone say, I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? My brother told me a story then of him. He said he was riding his wife's horse, and uh, they, their horse is like next to their house, and they go for rides, or just up the road from the house, and they go for rides. And, and so Tim got on Foxtrot, and he went for a ride. Now, he's busy learning how to ride, the same as us, and, or, or not the same as us. I mean, he comes from... We're, 
The farm people call us the city people. Like, we're, we're like thick, you know, when we get to the farm. <laughs> and so Tim's getting used to riding, and so he takes Frogstrot out for a ride, and he's, he's going, and he's having a good time. And a guinea fowl jumps out of the grass. And he says the horse literally jumped from this side of the road to that side of the road. And then the horse got a fright because it realized there's someone on it. So then it did that rodeo kick out the back. So as it kicked, he went up in the air. And then when it kicked the second time, he landed on its bum and he somersaulted backwards and landed on his back. Poof. He hasn't ridden Foxtrot again. <laughs> but he says a week later, the horse is being trained to do endurance rides and they brought the trainer in. His name's David. Now the race starts at 6.30. David arrives at 6.30. He arrives late. He grabs his saddle out the bucky, throws it on the horse, jumps on the horse, and the horse goes into that same bucking thing in circles like you see in the rodeo, right? And he says, David just leaned in, pulled that horse tight, did three circles, horse went in the right direction, and for the rest of the 40Ks, it obeyed David. It knew who was boss. And Tim stood there going, I'll never be able to do that. <laughs> realizing the power of someone who can contend with horses. You see, we become relaxed in our lives. We become relaxed with our experiences. We become relaxed in the day-to-day. And we make silly decisions. When the horse behaves badly. And we're surprised when the horse suddenly bolts. Us city people, we only know good horses. But in the spirit, we live the same. We go through life as if we can. Without the power of the Holy Spirit. Not realizing the importance, the urgency, the anxiousness of having the Holy Spirit be our guide in every moment, in every season. Because if we don't have the Holy Spirit with us when the horse bolts, we're not going to know what to do. So the word says, 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13 says, Be alert and on your guard. Stand, f- sorry, stand firm in your faith. Your conviction, respecting man's relationship to God and divine things, keeping the trust and holy further born of faith and act, this is 1 Corinthians 16 verse 13, and act like men and be courageous and grow in strength. Now you're saying, what horse? (laughs) And I felt today to speak about The horse, our flesh. Paul says, I don't know what to do. Sometimes I want to do what I want to do and I don't do what I don't do. And when I don't, you know that whole confusing verse. And he's talking about his flesh that acts like a horse. And Psalms 60, uh, where is that? Where is this? No, 32. Verse 9. Be not like the horse or the mule, which lacks understanding, 
which must have their mouths held firm with bit and bridle, or else they will not come to you. Psalms 32 verse 9. So, your flesh can be a bit like a horse or a mule. Last night, just thinking about the dishwasher. <laughs> I'm still in trouble. <laughs> but because of me, because I carry the plates to the dishwasher and I give them to Bernadine and she says, why are you giving them to me? And I say, because you like packing the dishwasher. <laughs> and there in the dog box, I realized my flesh ran away from me. <laughs> there, something came out of me that bolted like a horse, bolted like a mule. Don't know if it was what it was. But sometimes the flesh bolts. And if you don't know how to handle it, you're not going to get it back. You need the Holy Spirit. That's one area. Many think they've conquered the flesh because life's been good to them. And they've never actually experienced or acknowledged the flesh that is fighting within them and against them. They're often surprised when they do fall. So true of particularly pastors who've really grown up in good homes, been an example for so many years, and when there's a fall, they have no idea what to do. I say that because that's the environment I grew up in. I know many people have grown up in the world, but there's people that haven't. There's people that have grown up and they're so surprised when the flesh lets them down. They're so surprised when they do fall that they don't know what to do or how to react or how to respond to the flesh that bucks and kicks and hoys them for a cease. <laughs> and you land on your back and you're like, I have no idea what to do. And so you do the only thing you think is good and you run. And God says, that's not what I intended you for. I didn't create you to run. And so in the flesh, when we place greatness as an identity, when someone falls, we treat them as the fallen. But God's saying, I want you to get back. I want you to get up. I want you to learn from the experience. And I want you to run. Now hear me. Grace, 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 grace enables you to get back but grace calls you to take responsibility. So if you fall off a horse and you get back on the same horse and fall off again, it's your own fault. <laughs> Don't get back on until you've taken ownership, until you've learned, until you've tamed that horse, until you've tamed that flesh. And the only way you tame that flesh is to take responsibility of the fall. It's not the horse's fault. It's your fault. Hello? 
Your responsibility. Your responsibility is to make sure that in the spiritual realm, you can get on a wild bucking horse, pull its head left, keep it in a circle, and then tell it where to go. Does that make sense? (laughs) That's your responsibility. And you can't keep getting on a horse that bucks you off and say, ah, I don't know, I don't know why. You've got to tame that thing. You've got to say, flesh, you belong to me. I am in control because the Holy Spirit is in control. I want to say, don't give up. Come back and tame the horse. Come back and tame the flesh. James 3 verse 2 to 3 says, For we all often stumble and fall and offend in many things, And if anyone does not offend in speech, he is the perfect man, able to control his entire body and to curb his entire nature. It goes on to say, if we set bits in the horse's mouth to make them obey us, we can turn their whole bodies about. That story I just told. (laughs) Yeah, James is literally relating the nature of our flesh the nature of what we say to the nature of a horse. He's saying it can be tamed. You can take control. You can overcome. You can be a perfect man in speech and in deed. Anyone believe that with me this morning? Say this with me. I can be a perfect man or woman. (laughs) Well, man, (laughs) Holy Spirit, will you teach me to have control over the things I say, over the things I think, over the things that I do? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. Remember to visit our website at www.revivalministry.co.za where you can sign up to receive more of these powerful messages.